Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 3. Um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. Um, so I'll just read that for us and I'll, and I'll pray for Jules as she comes up. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceives me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the, or, or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for um, the gift and the challenge of this text. And we pray that you would ju- use Jules now, that you would speak through her, that we would hear what you have, um, and that we'd uh, celebrate you for giving it to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hello, I am Jules. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the Hope Kids Children's Ministry Director. Um, hello. Hi. So as we've been going through Song of Songs, we've been rooting each week in a theme. And the theme that we are going to be looking at today is the theme of searching. So the basic question to begin with is, what is our character in this passage searching for? The passage of chapter 3 opens with, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. Now commentators agree that she's describing a dream. If you look at the very first verse, On my bed by night, and she is searching for her groom. Him whom my soul loves. Now, some commentators believe that she is describing this dream sequence till verse 6, which then describes the actual arrival of Solomon. Now, as the previous sermons have noted, Son of Psalms is traditionally interpreted as an imagery or metaphor for Christ and his people. We are the bride of Christ. God is the groom. But chapter 3 offers a quite different scenario than we are used to. The groom, this metaphor for God, is nowhere to be found. In fact, as we continue to read the passage, the bride is actively searching for him and what happens. Look at the end of that first verse. I sought him, but found him not. Maybe some of you are in this situation. You have a relationship with God, but somewhere along the road of life, you look up and you realize, I have no idea where God is fitting into my life. In fact, I can't really sense his presence in my life. I'm going to assume for the sake of the sermon that God does exist. There are great and really insightful sermons out there that discuss the existence of God. But for this particular talk, we're going to look at this uh, passage that is illustrated. Um, There is a groom. There is a God. But we just can't, for whatever reason, we just can't find him. What happens when we are seeking God and we can't sense him. Maybe some of you can resonate this idea of searching, but not finding. Sure, you can admit there's probably 
a God, but he's never spoken to me. Or I would love to feel his presence, but I don't. Or I used to feel close to him, but right now I don't, and I don't understand why he feels so distant. If you are there, it can be unsettling. I became a Christian in college, and because I'm a bit of a nerd, I read a lot of theology, I took a lot of theology classes, but the first time I felt distant from God, I felt totally unprepared, because this is an area of the Christian walk that we have a hard time talking about. It's not that you have stopped believing in God. It's just that you have lost that relational experience of God. There may be people here today who once had a deep relationship with God, but maybe it's been years since the last time you felt close to him, whatever that means to you. But you still consider yourself a Christian because you don't know what else to call yourself, but you just don't know where to go from here. I sought him, but found him not. I sought him, but found him not. If you were experiencing this, this seeking, but not finding, this dryness, this darkness, this silence, the first thing I want you to know is that you are not alone. Both biblically and historically, there have been foundational people of faith that have described the state of the Christian walk. St. John of the Cross wrote a book called Dark Night of the Soul, illustrating this feeling of separation from God. If you read through the Psalms, many are dedicated to laments and petitions to God. Why do you cast me off? Why do you forget us? Why are you silent? As um, testimonies and documents were being gathered for St. Teresa's canonization, yes, the Mother Teresa Many of her letters that were written to her archbishop, they were previously unpublished. No one had read them before, um, but they unveiled this dramatic interior life, this description of darkness that Mother Teresa often felt. To quote from one of her letters, she says, Now, Father, since 49 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I do not see neither with my mind nor with my reason. The great preacher Martin Lowe Jones saw this hidden but common condition of the Christian walk and wrote a whole book about it, what he called spiritual depression. If you are feeling alone, like you can't sense God in your life, if you feel like the bride in this passage, searching but not finding, desperately searching for a groom, it can be a lonely state to be in. But no, you are not alone. Let's continue to look at the passage. As the bride is desperately searching for her groom and he is nowhere to be found, where does she, where does she search? Let's look at verse 2. She goes about her city in the streets and in the squares. As we search for God, there's sometimes a temptation to search in the big things. Maybe if I could attend this world-renowned conference or this revival or hear this one great speaker that will really convict me, then maybe I can reconnect with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I truly believe God works in big ways, sometimes through big revivals. But I think sometimes we can get caught up in the looking in those places 
that we forget the quiet, repetitive, ordinary ways of seeking after God. So if you are searching, don't forget to seek after God in your own streets and in the squares of your city. The first few years that we lived in Houston, um, I remember dreaming big dreams of ways we could witness to our neighbors. But after a year of living there, I was discouraged because I wasn't making friends. I didn't speak much Spanish. Most of our neighbors were from Latin America. And just big things weren't happening. Nothing was happening. And that year, um, I spent months walking around the apartment complex with little baby Ezra strapped to my back, listening to audiobooks, and praying for big things to happen. And one day, Jeremiah was walking with me when we passed in front of the pool, right in front of our apartment complex, and this little girl was swimming. She was about 10 years old, and uh, somehow we got to talking to her about her love for swimming, and Jeremiah challenged her to go swimming every day for a month, and then he would buy her ice cream as a reward. And I had totally forgotten about the event when about a month went by and I hear this knock on my door. And I open the door and um, there's a pool of water and this little girl in her bathing suit clutching her goggles and she says, I'm here for my ice cream. And uh, it took me a minute to connect kind of the water and her and the ice cream. And I said, okay, um, I was going to just laugh it off, but her earnestness really caught me off guard. So I said, don't have ice cream right now, but come back tomorrow and I'll have it for you. So she says, okay, chocolate cookie Oreo, please. And that was how I met Jenny. As promised, I went out and bought chocolate cookie Oreo ice cream. And as promised, Jenny came by the next day to eat it. And soon Jenny started to come by every day. And she would call me when I wasn't home. And she would wait by my door if I wasn't home. And it was getting to be a little bit much. So I needed some structure. So I said, okay, Jenny. How about every Monday afternoon, I will promise I will be here to hang out with you. And since I was getting really into the Great British Baking Show, I said, okay, we can bake something together as an activity. So as summer turned into fall, every Monday, Jenny stopped by after school and we baked together. And I tutored her as we waited, as we waited for the weekly treats to cook in the oven. And this went on for months. Till one day I got a knock on my door. And when I opened the door, Two girls stood there. Is this where the baking class is? I didn't know I had a baking class, but I let them in. Three girls became five, which became ten, and that was how Monday baking class started. Over the course of the year, I helped with homework, with boy trouble, and they taught me about the weird YouTube culture of stars, and we consumed a lot of baked goods. We had an Easter party that year, and some of them had never heard the Easter story before. We started to recruit people in our church to help us start an ESL class for the parents in the apartment complex who didn't speak English. It wasn't a revival. It wasn't the big thing I had prayed for. It was small. It was disorderly. But I felt like I met God there, in the streets of my neighborhood. Sometimes, in searching for God, we forget about our own backyard. If you are experiencing a season of spiritual dryness and are longing for that reconnection with God, keep praying for a revival. Keep praying for the big things to happen because God does work in big ways. But don't forget about the small ways you can find him. Start looking for him in the streets and in the squares of your own neighborhood. 
Jamie Smith, who is a professor of philosophy at Calvin College, once gave this reminder that I love. Do you have grand visions for transforming the world economy? Fantastic. How about you start by moving to the abandoned spaces of the empire, committing to live day in and day out in the vicinity of those who are crushed underfoot of economic systems. Your education has taught you why this is important and how it can be meaningful. Can you dream small enough that you find joy and significance in the texture of a neighborhood? Are you willing to follow our incarnating God, who also dreams small, who when he came to dwell in the neighborhood of humanity, did not relocate to Rome, but moved to the other side of the tracks in tiny Nazareth. I know most of you in this room can dream big dreams for God, but can you also dream small enough to find joy and significance in the texture of your neighborhood? Secondly, as the bride is looking for her groom and she can't find him, What does she do? Let's look at verse 2. I will rise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? She can't find her groom. What does she do? She asks the watchmen. She enlists the help of other people. As we seek after God, do not forget about the role of community. Western American culture is such an individualistic culture. We tend to see our relationship with God as kind of a one-on-one interaction. And we can play lip service to the idea of community, but at the end of the day, we can be afraid of accountability. We are busy, we are private, but we need help. If you are like the bride in this passage, searching, searching, but not finding, ask the people around you for help. The theologian N.T. Wright talks about how when Jesus went out to save the one sheep, what does he do? He saves the one sheep and he brings it back into the herd. Faith is personal, but it is not individual. We are meant to be in community. And community needs to be active. Think about who are you going to pray with? Who are you going to be held accountable to? Who are you going to admit, you know what? I'm seeking God and I can't find him. Will you help me? Or I'm tired. I'm apathetic. I can't find the energy or willpower to even look. Will you help me? Verse 3, have you seen him whom My soul loves. I know he's out there. Can you help me look? In verse 4, the bride finally finds her groom. She finds him and immediately recognizes him as the one whom her soul loves. She has a familiarity with him that has been established for the first two chapters. As we search for God, like the bride, will we recognize him? if we saw him. I know this seems like an obvious question, but there are unfortunately many times in the Bible where people have literally been face-to-face with God and did not recognize him. The nation of Israel expected a conquering war hero, and Jesus came as a baby. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus describes a scenario where there are followers who are confused because Jesus denies knowing them. And how does Jesus reply? I was, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. As you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. They did not recognize him when he was here. The author, Madeline Langle, notes in one of her books that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there is a tradition to see the character of the Good Samaritan as Jesus. But there are other interpretations that view Jesus as the man hurt on the side of the road. And the characters that passed by him thought they were seeking after God. One is literally praying as he walks by. They did not recognize him. As we seek after God, will we recognize him? Or are we passing by without even realizing? Are you familiar with the groom? The bride in the passage immediately recognizes him. Verse 4, when I found him whom my soul loves, I held him and would not let him go. When we recognize our groom, the one whom our soul loves, we do not want to let go. When we find the real thing, the thing that we have been searching for our whole lives, we do not let it go. But that is not the end of the passage. Let's look at verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Some of you who are part of the evangelical 90s purity culture may remember this verse as a warning to not make out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, least you awaken love and get pregnant before you marry. Now, this is not where the sermon is going, don't worry. Um, But the principle of that warning, the principle of the warning, do not awaken love to an unworthy subject is important here because we picture ourselves as this pure bride, like the bride in this passage, finding our groom, the one whom our soul loves, and never letting go. But that's not usually what happens. Really, we are the daughters of Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the children of Israel, what do they do time and again? They turn away from God. They break the covenant. They are the unfaithful bride. Too often, we are the daughters of Jerusalem, the unfaithful bride who over and over again awakens love to unworthy lovers because we can't help ourselves. We want to go all in on something that will last, the one real thing, but we are constantly placing our love on things that will not last. We are the unfaithful bride. But the passage continues. And here, we have to remember what I noted about this passage in the very beginning. Their commentators, Leland and Philip Wright, can note in this passage that the first part is the dream, and the second part, starting in verse 6, describes the groom's actual arrival in full processional splendor. He arrives to his bride. We are like the bride, searching and searching for our groom, but our great hope is that he arrives to us. Our great hope is that he arrives to us. He comes down to us in full processional splendor. 
Where does the story end? Let's look at that last section, starting at verse 9. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of gladness of his heart. The story ends in a wedding. And where does our story end? Let's turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, our story also ends in a wedding. With the groom coming down in full processional splendor to end all suffering. Now, if we are in the middle of this search, if you are like the bride in the beginning of this passage, it can be difficult to imagine the ending. Some of you are still searching, but not finding. You feel distant from God, like Mother Teresa, feel this unexplained darkness or emptiness. And if you feel like that, sometimes it's difficult to have perspective. Um, one of my favorite characters, the character of Samwise in Lord of the Rings, um, has this great quote to his companion Frodo that says, It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how can the end be happy? How can the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness, must pass. If you are feeling that darkness, you might be wondering right now, how do I know I will not be forgotten? How do I know that God will not forsake me? Lastly, let's turn to Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Some of you might be feeling like the bride in Psalm of Psalms, searching but not finding, and like David in this psalm, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? So how do we know that God will not forsake us? It's because of the man who spoke those words on the cross. You will not be forsaken because there was one who was forsaken. As Christians, we have hope because Jesus took all that shame, all the greed, all the anger. You feel all the sin, and he claimed victory for us on the cross by the resurrection. You can search in confidence because our hope lands firmly 
on Jesus, on the groom who arrives to us. Our confidence does not come from our own ability to search or even our community, but rather on the one who was forsaken for our sake, scorned by God on our behalf. God will not forsake you in your search. So take heart. We worship a God who cares deeply about us, who is compassionate and full of grace, abundant in love. We worship a God who is faithful. Despite all the times, like the daughters of Jerusalem, we have been unfaithful, and all the times we will be unfaithful. He is the faithful groom who arrives. So take heart. We have the most splendid wedding feast awaiting for us in the end. Let's pray. God, you are the one who arrives to us, who comes down to us. We thank you for who you are. I pray for the people here who are feeling distant from you, who are like the psalmist crying out. I know you are not afraid of any questions we have. You are bigger than any question we have. I pray you make yourself known to every person here. And I pray that Hope Jersey City can be a community that can point others to you in our own backyard. You are the one whom our soul loves. Amen.